Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, evening, everyone. Just a, a brief word of um, explanation then. Uh, I think... It, I, it's very rare, only once before, um, I sort of ripped up the, what we were planned to preach on and uh, change it late on in the day. That was back in 2001, uh, 9-11. Um, that seemed right then. And actually on Friday, I just thought, uh, no, I need to change. And so I was preaching this morning, and so changed what we were doing this morning, and we went for Psalm 90 this morning. And we were meant to carry on this evening in Romans chapter 12, but then some this morning said, no, I think do that again this evening. Um, so there we are. Uh, not something we do very often to allow what's going on in the wider world to, to shape the, uh, the scriptures that we open on a Sunday. But it does seem right at the moment. Uh, now, what to say then, if you're going to do that, uh, essentially you address something which is topical. Um, oh, there's a lot of things to say <laughs> about the suffering of the Ukrainian people, the wickedness of, uh, of Vladimir Putin, God's sovereignty in the midst of uh, apparent chaos. There's lots of things you could say. And uh, maybe we've got it the wrong way around. But tonight we're looking at Psalm 90. And in one sense, how do we think uh, about some of the things that are going on? And, and next week, uh, we'll look at a, another psalm, which is more of a cry for justice. Uh, so we'll do that in the next two weeks. And then eventually, we'll come back to Romans chapter 12 um, and thinking about church and culture. But let me pray. And then we'll look at Psalm 90 together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are our dwelling place throughout all generations. You are the place of security and safety and comfort. And Lord, please, as we turn to your word this evening, 
would we be delighted to find our dwelling place in you, reassured of its security, confident that justice will come, and trusting in the Lord Jesus to ensure that we finally make it to our eternal home. Father, please be at work, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so what to say? You can't say everything. But uh, there was a point in the week, um, uh, obviously let me see, last Sunday night or Monday, the, the news sort of hit us that uh, Putin had escalated the nuclear deterrent level uh, in, uh, in Russia to high alert, and we wanted to try and work out what that actually meant uh, in reality. Um, and I think you'd have to say it's the closest the world has come to global disaster since 1962 and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Not that many here would remember that, um, but you know of it in 1962. And these things which seemed so very distant from us all of a sudden become a little more proximate. And I started, perhaps morbidly, to dwell, well, you know, well, if, you, if it happened, what would you do? Who would you call? If we get the 15-minute warning that uh, a nuclear bomb was going to land on our city, what would you do? Who would you call? I thought, what would I want to say? And I thought I'd probably want to say something like Psalm 90. Of course, it's not going to happen, is it? But then uh, at some point in the week, mid of the week, I was just on the BBC, and, and Steve Rosenberg, the, the Moscow correspondent, um, he wrote this. So many times I thought, well, Putin will never do this. And then he goes and does it. He'd never annex Crimea, I said, and he did. He'd never start a war in the Donbass. He did. He'll never launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, I said. He has. And so now I think he'd never press the nuclear button first, would he? I don't know. Oh, you're like the expert. You don't know. And so we turn to Psalm 90 and the prayer... Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Uh, very briefly, you can see the, the heading there. We're in book four. This is the beginning of book four of uh, the book of Psalms. Uh, book three has been the disaster in the book of Psalms. Everything goes wrong in book three. It's when uh, Israel's king gets carted off into exile. The Jerusalem, their capital city, is destroyed. Invasion comes. Everything goes badly. So Psalm 88 and 89 are the, the bleakest of Psalms. Um, Psalm 88, personally, my life is just darkness is my closest friend, is the conclusion of Psalm 88. It doesn't get much bleaker than that, and, and Psalm 89, where you just abandoned us. Um, and into that comes Psalm 90. Okay, let's try again. Let's turn back. Let's remind ourselves how Moses prayed. And what you get here are then are three foundational truths and four prayers in response. Obviously, the handout on the back of your sheet is entirely useless because it's for Romans 12. I think it's quite a good outline, and in three weeks' time or something like that, we'll come back to it. <laughs> but um, hopefully you'll follow three statements and four prayers that follow. The three main statements are this. The Lord is our home, verses 1 and 2. Human lives are but dust, 3 to 6. We're consumed by the Lord's anger. And then there are some prayers in response. 
Let's look at these foundational truths then. First, the Lord is our home, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you were brought forth the whole world, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Dwelling place, uh, used elsewhere in the Psalms of, of an animal's lair where they retreat to for safety, security. It's a safe place. Lord, you're a safe place. Not that he was, or excuse me, not that he provided a dwelling place. Lord, you are our dwelling place. You are the place we go for safety, security, familiarity, comfort. And so I don't know what the numbers are now, but certainly on the radio this morning, they were saying by the end of today, 1.5 million Ukrainians would have fled their homes. Wow. I don't know about you, it's quite easy to get inured, um, just over-familiar to pictures of devastation on, on, the, on the news. But this just feels different. It's closer. Kiev is a modern city. It looks like London. The shops look like London. And these pictures every night, they'll interview someone, won't they, who's lost everything. Well, certainly one thing to pray for the believers in Ukraine is that they would know this deeply. And it would be real. And I don't say that in any sense try it, because of course you and I will go home to our flats and they'll be warm probably. Um, and f- but this for them, where's, their, where's your dwelling place when your home is destroyed and you're running? Some, a few, maybe perhaps will remember a couple of here a little while ago, Jody and Liz Davies, he's a senior army officer. They've had 25 years of moving from house to house to house to house because you do two years in one job, two years in one job, two years, and you just move around and around and one or two here in the military will be familiar with that sort of pattern. Uh, so they have a little plaque in their, their kitchen. Home is where the army sends us. And uh, beneath it, there's a list of uh, other wooden plaques of all the places they've been, some exotic overseas uh, um, placings, placement st- stations, uh, and Swindon's in there as well. Um, you know, it sort of varies uh, where you get sent. Um, but they're kids. The kids are sort of older teenagers now. And they've been in boarding school for the last chunk of time because you can't just move your kids every two years from... Brunei, back to London, back to, you just can't move them around like that, it's just not fair. So it's a bit weird for, for the kids, because sometimes uh, they'll spend Christmas in a house, and they've lived there for two years, and then they'll go away to boarding school, and when they come out again at half term, they're living somewhere else. It's like, we've moved all your stuff, and here's your new bedroom. Oh, right. Um, that's kind of weird, uh, growing up that way. But uh, with them fairly recently, and uh, chatting about this, the, the constant movement, and, and the older teenager said in a sort of fairly dismissive, bored uh, fashion, well, you know, home is just where mum and dad are. And well, it's just sort of matter-of-factly, of course, his mother wells up and thinks it's the most, you know, <laughs> you do love me, um, uh, despite the grumpy teenageness. Uh, but of course, of course that's where home is, where mum and dad are and the stuff they know, what is because that is safe. That is, I can retreat there and just sleep uh, and sort of argh and get some food placed in front of me. It's security, it's stability, that's the continuity. And the Christian believer says, God is my dwelling place. The Lord, the Lord Jesus is my dwelling place. Everything else goes. 
bit longer than two years, maybe, but it's just temporary. Throughout all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, there's a wonderful constancy to the Lord is your dwelling place. The Lord is our home. He contrasts to that, verses 3 to 6, human lives are but dust. Here's the contrast to the Lord who dwells throughout all generations, humans. Verse 3, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that's just gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep people away in the sleep of death. Oh, they're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it's dry and withered. You turn people back to dust. Uh, finally, in January, COVID restrictions gone and the, the local council that had been slightly uh, slow, I, I finally got to bury my parents' ashes uh, in January. And so having lived for 82 years, 77 years respectively, there they are in a casket the size of a shoebox. And that's them. Turned to dust. Memories, yeah, yeah. But gone. We think a thousand years are a long time, but to the Lord, just they go very quickly. A thousand years ago, 1022. Do you know what happened in 1022? I mean, nothing happened before 10 to 66, did it? That's when history begins. Um, <laughs> but in 1022, actually, Harold Gobinson was born, the guy who lost in 1066. So that's the most significant thing, I think, uh, of 1022. But uh, a thousand years, since 1022, quite a lot's happened. I reckon, I mean, more than you've forgotten from your school history days, um, a lot's happened, but to the Lord, it's a flicker. It's a watch in the night, three hours in Hebrew thought, just a watch. Verse 5, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. There are very roughly 117 billion humans have lived on this planet, very roughly. I mean, there's a few of us left, quite a few at the moment, uh, but um, most have gone, and we'll go, and there'll be more. There's a lot of people. I'm not very good with names. Certainly not 117 billion of them. The Lord knows them all. Has it been? They've gone. And look, verse 6, every new birth is exciting. But in the scheme of eternity, or rather in the scheme of just the duration of this world, spring up new in the morning, gone in the evening. And what's left? What lasts? That's life, says Moses. Now, the fragility of life, it's very easy to forget. Particularly, um, we have lived in an unprecedented era of history, and not just because of COVID, which increase the use of the word unprecedented to unprecedented levels. But um, <laughs> uh, the weird thing about that was it's not unprecedented. It's quite normal. We had sort of 60, 70 years of freakish stability and comfort and security in the West. Just freakish compared to the history of our world, the history of humanity. And the last few years, we have a sort of plague across the planet for two years and now war, which threatens to completely destabilize the known world, that's normal. That's normal in history. The last 60 years have been weird, historically. 
We're just reverting back to normal now. So the news at the moment should perhaps just remind us of that fact. And peace, stability, prosperity in the last few decades, very unusual compared to the norm. And life is fragile, and us humans, we are like dust. We come and we go, but who knows when it is. So the Lord is our home. By contrast, human lives are but dust. And the reason for that, the reason for the brevity of life is in verses 7 to 11, we're consumed by the Lord's anger. Here's why humans return to dust, because of our behavior. Verse 7, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Now, this war at the moment is being described, I don't know if it's a realistic time. Anyway, the first social media war, I don't know about that. Certainly the first TikTok war, I guess that's probably true. And so these days, it's much harder to get away with war crimes because everyone's got a smartphone. In Ukraine, they do. Uh, and uh, everything gets recorded. And so if in human terms, there's a, a day of justice, there'll be plenty of evidence of uh, atrocities committed harder to get away. But how very wonderful to know that from the beginning of the world, that's been true. That the living God has seen everything, recorded every crime, observed, noted every iniquity. Not missed a single one. Putin's horrific crimes against humanity, the small crimes that you and I do every day, but all of our iniquities. Not that they're morally equivalent. There is a difference between invading a sovereign nation and telling lies. There is a difference. But this world is under God's justice, judgment, because of the corruption of humanity. Some with some effect, some with gross impact. But justice comes. Verse 8, you've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. But here's what's going to happen. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And so one thing we can know at the moment, as no doubt some will say, some here will say, how does God allow such things? Know this, you have no idea how angry he is. Every crime, every iniquity, every sin will be judged before the blinding white purity of a holy God. You have no idea how angry he is by what's taking place. But as a consequence of the sin of this world, be it grotesque, be it everyday rejection of God's norms, this world is not as it should be. 
And so that's why life is short. We are a people, a humanity, living in a fallen world under the judgment of God, which is why life is short and at times very frustrating. And at times our years are a moan. And at times the best of our years are trouble and sorrow. Verse 10. We need to know it's because of God's anger. Four prayers. So those three things. The Lord is our home. Human lives are but dust. The reason for that is that we're consumed by the Lord's anger. Four things to pray. Four things you can pray. Four things you might want to pray for uh, uh, Christians enduring at the moment. Uh, I was going to say they're there on the sheet, but they're not, are they? Uh, let me run through them. First, teach us to count, verse 12. Teach us to count. Moses writes, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to count in two senses, I think. The first, how many left? That gives you wisdom. Uh, oh, I've got, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got seven days left in London before I go on holiday, and I've got you know, 20 tasks to do. I've just got to manage my time, um, how to get these 20 tasks done. Knowing how much time I've got makes you plan effectively. There's that sense to it. Knowing that life is limited, it's short, it's brief. Use your time well. There's that. But secondly, and I think probably the main sense of it here is, why so few? Why don't we live longer than 70, 80 years? Why does the body decay? Well, the answer's been given, verses 7 to 11, because of our human rejection of God. But in that sense, wisdom knows that the most important thing for you and for me to discern and to address and to sort out is, we have a problem with the living God. Or put it in these terms. Uh, a woman gets paid on the first of the month. So she looks at her bank account on the 30th of um, 30th of September, April, April, the 30th of April. Um, and um, oh, it was wonderful. There's 5K left in the bank account. Oh, can you imagine? Um, anyway, that's what it is on the 30th of, of uh, April. And she knows she gets paid. Uh, what did I just say, five? She knows she gets paid two grand on the first of the month. So on the 30th, there's five. And so she looks expecting there to be seven on the first of the month, and there's £10.50. What she doesn't do is say, well, I've got £10.50. I've got to make it last 30 days. Well, that's pretty tough. She doesn't sort of teach, us, teach me um, to number my days effectively so I've got whatever, 30 or pence. Um, uh, uh, not. What do you do if you go, where's my money? Where's my money? I should have 7K in in the bank. Where's my money? That's the sort of response. I think that's Moses' primary sense here. When life is hard and we live after 70, 80 days and then we go, we should be saying, why is it so short? Why does life go like that? Is the primary sense of it. Lord, teach us that being right with you is more important than anything else we need to sort out in life. Teach us to count. Secondly, return to us, Lord, verse 13. Relent, Lord, or return. You translate it how you desire, relent, return. Relent, Lord, how will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Key here is the title given, Lord, Yahweh, the name God revealed to Moses when he made Israel his people. Moses is praying here, Lord, relent, as you promised to do, because you promised we'd always be your people. 
So you've made promises to us. So relent as you've returned to us as you promised to do. You promised never to abandon us. You promised that there was a way that we could be saved. Please, how long until we get that, Lord? And there is a play here. Verse 3, God returns us to dust. Verse 13, Lord, return. Will you return to us in kindness and compassion? That's what we need. The Lord does not recruit nice people for his kingdom. He recruits humble people. Jesus is clear. Heaven is not for nice, good people. It's for those who say, help. I need compassion from the Lord. I need mercy. Teach us to count, verse 12. Return to us, Lord, verse 13. Third, satisfy us with your love. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Here's a wonderful contrast to the gloom of verses 5 and 6, where morning and evening they just come and they go and they come and they go, and life is a little bit oppressive to Moses. Here... The believer knows that the life they're living does matter. Not just, would I know that you love me, verse 14. Satisfy. Satisfy us with your unfailing love so that we sing for joy. Not finding the brevity of life, its hardships, just frustrating, but we can sing for joy because of the hope we have in you. The believer knows that what they're doing matters because of their relationship with God, and they can go about their work joyfully. And trusting him, hope in him means you can sing, even in adversity. Two examples, one trite, one matters. Uh, The trite one. If you have a car, and it's a 20-year-old diesel belching, useless rust bucket held together by duct tape, um, and you've got to do something about it. You've got to do something about it. Uh, and you just, you just haven't got round to it. Anyway, someone nicks it. More for them. And uh, the police, you tell the police, and they say, yeah, we found it. It's burnt out, and it's been trashed. And you go, oh, well. I've got a million pounds in the bank, as you do, and um, I'll buy a new car, and it'll be slightly better than that one. Now, there's a hassle if someone nicks your car. And there's a nuisance to, and there's a sort of distress to it. But if you could replace it with ease, with something better, it's a nuisance, but you can still sing. In fact, you can laugh, because you have a far greater hope ahead. Or, more seriously, I want to play you something. I got sent this in the week. It's a, a recording from a subway station in Kharkiv. Uh, I think it was Wednesday. So uh, missiles being launched on upon civilian areas, so they uh, descended to the subway, uh, and um, clearly one group down there was a bunch of Christians, and they started singing, and someone recorded it. Now, you and I won't know what they're singing. It's not a song that we know. But uh, what you hear is them singing, Jesus, you gave your life for us, and our names are written in the book of life. Praise you.
And who knows what the others watching thought of that. But you can do that. You can sing, even if you've lost your house, if you know that the Lord is your dwelling place and he's restored you to relationship with him. You can sing. Verse 15 is a prayer, I'd have to say, somewhat limited by the vista of the Old Testament. So Moses says, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. So it's kind of like, look, we've had uh, 900 days where life has been hard. Can we have 900 days where things go really well? Like I saw even one another out. Can, can we do that? Well, that's okay. But you, you know you get to the page of the New Testament and it's wildly different. So 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul could write, for example, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them, not just compensation. Do you see the difference? So if you took a child to, to the park, old-fashioned seesaw, and the council haven't shut it down for health and safety, um, and so you put one kid on 30 kilos and another kid the other side, and they and if they're about 10 years old, they try and bump one another off. But, you know, it's fairly balanced. Well, one kid jumps off, and one of the 30-kilo 10-year-olds, roughly, uh, stays on it. And then all of a sudden, wandering through the park is Tyson Fury, and he goes, oh, I'll have a bit of that, and uh, lands on the other end, and the kid goes, wee, and flies off, because he's like 170 kilos of solid whatever he is. Um, solidness. I mean, I wouldn't mess. Um, you know. What, there's a difference balancing out, that's okay, wildly imbalanced. And that is the stress of the New Testament. Our troubles now are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. Not just, can we even it out? Look, you know, I had 20 bad years on earth. Are you going to give me 20 good years in heaven? It's not that. Completely unbalanced. And so verse 16, look, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Would we know, see things that last? Moses, of course, thinks primarily of the Exodus. The Christian thinks of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A man conquers death and says, follow me. I'm going ahead to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Trust me. Follow me. I'll take you there. He's witnessed by hundreds of others. Now, there's a splendor you can pass on, sing with your children. You gave your life for us. Our names are written in the book of life. So the four prayers. Teach us to count, verse 12. Return to us, Lord, verse 13. Satisfy us with your love, 14 to 16. The final thing, verse 17. Establish the work of our hands. Verse 17, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Possibly an arrogant prayer, uh, possibly a dangerous prayer, I don't know. Could, could I do something that lasts? Could my life count for something? Would it endure beyond me? Would you establish the work of my hands so that it matters? Can I have a legacy? Who could enter the mind of Vladimir Putin, but we're told one thing he wants is a legacy of his achievements. Well, let us be in no doubt the Bible suggests the legacy he faces is an eternity facing the wrath of God. That's the legacy. But 
if we've worked our way through this psalm and if we own the statements, the Lord is my home, human lives are but dust. The reason is we're under the anger of God because of our iniquities. Now, I declare I've found my home in the Lord Jesus. I've come to him. I've trusted in him, resting upon his compassion. Knowing that, can I do something that matters for you, Lord? Would the work of my hands matter for you? Would I do something that lasts? What does that mean, of course, practically? I guess that the the first thing you do with that is, here is a, may the favor of the Lord God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. It's only a prayer that, the, could I become a Christian, Lord, and therefore would what I do matter and actually have it make a difference and last into eternity, not just be ephemeral, not just be up in the morning, gone in the evening, and gone and forgotten like dust. I guess the first way you practically answer the, or, or pray this prayer is, I want to find my home in Christ. He is the one who has compassion. He is the one who's endured God's wrath so that I know I have a home in him now that lasts into eternity. I guess it's the first way. Most of us here are Christians. Most. We know that. If we've been a Christian for a while, what does it mean? I guess the prayer teaches us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom We want that to become ever more real. Lord, I want you to be my dwelling place. That to be actually true, rather than just a statement of faith, to actually live it. Dare I suggest, uh, it's it's somewhat easier to own the Lord is my dwelling place in some senses in your 20s and 30s than it is when life is a bit more settled in your 40s and 50s. I mean, yes, I preached this this morning. Lots of people in their 40s and 50s, life is set into patterns a little more. They know where they're going. In your 20s and 30s, everything's just a bit more unstable. Who am I? What am I going to do in my life? Where am I going? Where will I be in three years? You know, who will I be with in two years? You know, it's, it's all just a bit more up in the air. Maybe it's easier to own, Lord, you are my dwelling place. You are the place of stability, security, safety, protection, comfort, familiarity. Maybe it's easier to own that. I don't know when you're a little bit younger. But Lord, teach us. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us that affliction will be swallowed up by an eternal weight of glory. Teach us that satisfaction could be found even in adversity when our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are lots of things to say, biblically, about what's going on in the world at the moment, events in Ukraine. Here is one. It's just one. Other things you'd want to say. But here is one. As events in the world make life seem a little less certain, a little more unstable, Lord, teach us to count our days rightly, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Life is fragile. We're just dust. Jesus is home. He's a dwelling place.
Let me leave you uh, by playing one other thing. Uh, some would have heard on the weekend away, Neil Powell interview talking about Evgeny, the, uh, the Bapt Russian Baptist pastor in uh, Moscow. Also on the 24th of Feb, when the tanks first rolled in, he immediately stood up publicly and said, this is wrong, it is evil, I'm a Christian minister, I stand with brothers in Ukraine and sisters in Ukraine, and that's brave. And I don't know what's happened, but you'd expect a knock on the door at least from the FSB in Moscow. So here is something which, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, so as I'm told, it was recorded by a house church in Moscow and sent as an encouragement to brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Brothers and sisters, we stand with you. We want you to know this. We want you to know that this is what we're praying you'd know deeply. Now, this one you will remember or recognize because they're saying, look, Jesus, he's home. They'll hold us fast. God and Father, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Father, there are many things we pray in response to what's taking place at the moment. For ourselves, would we not ignore reality as it smacks us in the face at the moment? We are dust. Life is fragile. There is a home that endures in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would we find our safety, security, comfort, protection in him, knowing that he will hold us fast until heaven? Father, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters uh, acutely in Ukraine, but no doubt some having knocks on their door at the moment uh, in Russia as well. Father, would they know that? Father, please, it's simple for us to pray, but it's certainly what they're asking for, our prayers, that you would work that in them that they know that you are a dwelling place, that they can sing for joy in the midst of adversity because of the hope that comes from knowing that Jesus has taken your wrath. Father, thank you that a day of justice does come, that no sins, no iniquities, no war crimes are ignored. That is good news. Father, would we recognize that you are angry at the mess taking place at the moment, acutely angry with the evildoers who perpetrate it. Father, would we trust you for the outcome? Would we trust you for justice? For us, we pray, teach us to number our days rightly, that we may live with a heart of wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>